0: We're continuing our series in First John. Last week, we looked at John's introduction to the letter, and it's really similar to the prologue of his gospel, isn't it? We see the same themes which permeate John. Uh, some historians tell us that he was called the theologian in the first century, but that these themes permeate not only his thinking, but his living and his teaching. John says that he is proclaiming what he has seen and heard directly from Christ. His life with Christ before and after the resurrection changed him forever. In his stated desire, our purpose in writing is that his readers would have fellowship with him and with those whose lives are found in Christ and that they would all, we all would have fellowship together with Christ and the Father. That word fellowship is amazingly significant. John's desire is for mutual fellowship and in sharing that, that their, their joy would be full. He continues that thought in verses 5 and 10. We're going to start by reading all of chapter 1 this morning. So if you can and if you will, or if you will, would you stand with me as we read God's word? <clears throat> That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Father, today would you allow us to understand what you're saying, and would we let your light shine in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships? and expose us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? John continues the thoughts he began in the first four verses, in verses 5 through 10. He begins by stating that what he has heard directly from Jesus, he's proclaiming what was proclaimed to him just to remind ourselves, let's take a brief look. We're going to look at John, the gospel, a little bit and see some of these same themes. In John chapter 3, verse 16, you know that verse? It's a pretty popular one. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 20, and you'll see where the theme of light comes out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's the fear of exposure of the light that causes us to reject it. John chapter 8 verse 12 Jesus spoke to them saying I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life John 9 verse 5 Jesus says as long as I am in the world I am the light of the world what John is teaching his readers and us is what Jesus has explained to them about who he is Jesus taught his disciples that he is the light Of the world. We're going to take a few minutes and try and unpack that a bit. It's more than a metaphor for who God is. It's a statement of His very nature. If I were to ask you to complete the phrase, God is blank, what would we most often say or hear? God is love. And why would we say that? Because He is. Where do you know that from? The Bible. Where? Oh. 1 John, <laughs> the same book, John, John says God is love, but he also says God is light, and they're equally true. We like the love part, we're not so sure we like the light part, because of the implications that God is absolute light, and in him is no darkness at all. So what does it mean that God is Light. And I got to tell you, when I was first uh, working on this message, I began to think, oh gosh, this is kind of negative because we talk about lying and deceiving ourselves and doing all that stuff. But this is one of the most positive messages we could preach if we understand what light does. What does it mean that God is Light first thing I want us to know is his nature is declared as or displayed as light. It's the very character of God. When we see Old Testament appearances of Christ, it's always in the context of light. His glory is seen in light. He's described as the God covered in light. Psalm 104 verse 2 says this, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you're very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. In 1 Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light. Whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. What a phrase. Unapproachable light. When I was young and dumb, I don't know why my friend and I thought about doing this, but there was a searchlight, and we decided, hey, let's go stand in front of that thing and see how bright it is. (laughs) Let me tell you, it's bright. (laughs) It's so intense, it's like... And you feel almost like the light is going to go right through you. And everything is exposed on your clothes. And it's like unbelievable, but I wouldn't recommend it. And what Paul is saying is that God dwells in inapproachable light. It's so intense you can't see it. Perhaps the greatest illustration of that is Moses. Remember what happened with Moses when he spoke with God? He started to glow. And people were afraid of him. Exodus 24, 29 to 35. Now, remember the story. Moses said, I want to see your glory, God. And God says, no, you can't handle my glory. But you stand in the rock. I'll put my hand over you. And after I pass by, you can look at my back. Kind of the leftovers. If you look at my face, bro, you can't even handle my glory in the light. So in Exodus 24, starting at verse 29, it says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So he's coming down, he's glowing. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Just think of that. Whoa, is he a ghost? What happened? And Moses is like, what's wrong with you dudes? He's glowing. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And when Moses, ever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see that the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' his face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. The light of God is so revealing and so intense. One of the, one of the implications is that it causes us to reflect it. We got some laser tag guns for our uh, grandkids, actually it was for our grandkids' parents and grandfather. But one of the cool things about laser tag guns is that you can cheat just a little bit. You can bounce those babies off any reflective service and and the grandkids don't get it. So you can shoot around quarters. And rumor has it that this church is really fun to do that in at night after dark. But there are windows on the back of the auditorium, and you can bounce them off of all this stuff. And if there's a white wall, you can bounce it off because it reflects a laser beam. It's awesome. And the other thing is, Grandpa has a secret weapon. The laser tag of the church. Keys. <laughs> Pretty good hiding places in here. But the idea is that the light of God is so intense that it reflects, it bounces, it just boom. And Moses reflects this light of God. Another great picture of the character of God is the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. You read this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. So John sees this, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. It's the nature, it's the character, it's the glory of God. And in the description of light, we, just see, we also see the distinct, the distinct contrast to darkness, it's, it's opposed. If pure light is a description of God's righteousness and purity, then it is absolute absence of anything that is dark or anything that is not righteous and holy and pure. We were having a discussion about the characteristics of light this week, and I'm just going to go over some of the things we talked about, and there's way more than this, but I want you to think through. I would encourage you to do a word study on light and see what you find in Scripture. First thing about light is that it dispels darkness. Darkness can't overcome light. Unless the light goes out or is covered. If we were to blacken this whole thing, cover the windows this morning, and I was just to take a little lighter and light it, it would dispel darkness. You could begin to see your way around very quickly. If there's no light, your eyes can never adjust. They need some light to be able to see. But a very small light dispels darkness. John says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. There is literally nowhere that darkness can hide in his presence. Even as we think about sunlight, there are shadows because the sun comes from a particular direction. A photography studio, a person will have all these various lights and they'll shine them to get rid of shadows or to create certain shadows. God's present dispels darkness in scripture, light is all that is good. It's holy and pure. In fact, it says that when he comes again and we enter into the new kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, there will be no sun or moon or stars. We don't need them. He will be invasive, permeating light. It dispels darkness, it also exposes what is. Light clarifies or illuminates what is. It, it, it lights, it allows us to see reality. When. Uh, The rumored laser tag event happened here. We had all the lights out in this room, and I gotta tell you, it's picking dangerous to run in here with no lights on. Bam, boom, boom, ah, ah. But you turn the lights on, and it's perfectly safe to walk in here. Light reveals. God's living and spoken and written word reveals truth or reality. Jesus, as God's light, reveals God and He reveals all that is godly, and it also reveals all that is not godly. It's one of the reasons why we evade the light. The other day, we were playing that. One of our little grandsons. How old is he? Two, three. He wanted to play, and so he goes ripping 100 miles an hour around that hallway. Hits the other hallway. Comes back, dark! Dark! He was fine until he hit the dark. And why didn't he want to go into the dark? Because boogeymen hide in darkness. That's the one thing about light. It also dispels fear. We're afraid of what we can't see and should be. The unknown is terrifying. And so he went, around that corner full bore and came back to where there was light. I think we should have a family fun night here sometime. Light gives guidance. As a result of light revealing, it gives guidance or allows us to find our way, and it leads us to truth. Have you ever been out in the woods totally dark? And one of the best things to do is not turn on a light, but to let your eyes adjust to the light that is. You can see better. But when it's absolutely amazingly dark, if you turn on a light, you can find your way. We see the truth declared often in the Bible that God and His Word lights our path. Psalm 119 is replete with the benefits of God's Word. But one of the most common verses is this, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It lets us figure out Where to walk. We talked about that in knowing God's will. Light brings life. Have you ever laid a tarp on your front lawn or even parked a car there for some time? What happens to the grass? It dies. Nothing lives where there is no light. Without light, there is no life. And it's interesting that John states that Jesus is light and life, both. Light Purifies Neil was telling us a story about being in the village and and needing sterile bandages. And the doctor told him, listen, the best way to sterilize stuff is take like a piece of cloth, like a white bed sheet, hang it in the sun and the sun will sterilize it. Better than anything you can sterilize it with. In your house, if you have your curtains drawn all the time, critters grow and mold grows thing to do for your house is to open it up and expose it to light it purifies it in third world countries you know they're digging wells and they're providing water but one of the things they found is if you take a glass bottle or a plastic bottle fill it full of water and leave it in the sun i think it's for like 72 hours it will purify all the water and you can drink it so last time i was over there the kids wanted all of our plastic water bottles that we drank from because they know now that if they leave it in the sun, it will purify the water. And they can create their own pure water by exposing it to sun. In fact, if you have a house or a cabin somewhere that isn't hooked up to a water source, what do they use often to purify your water? Light. It's a purification system, and they run it through a light filter. And it will kill all the bugs. Light purifies. Now, think of all those implications in what John is saying. Marianne Thompson says this, Let there be no misunderstanding. John emphatically restates the point in verse 3, that in him there is no darkness at all. God is pure light, not deluded or mixed in any way with evil, hatred, untruth, ignorance, or hostility. God is light is not a theoretical assertion about the nature of God. It is a statement that drives us to the heart of what God is like, just like God is love. The statement that God is light is absolutely true. God is pure light, and for John, this statement rings with implications for the Christian life. Thus, it is crucial that we correctly grasp this basic truth. We're not going to exhaust all the characteristics of light. But I want you this week in a growth group or whatever to have a discussion. What are the implications that God is absolutely light and in him there is no darkness? The implications are that we will have fellowship. Fellowship. The first thing is fellowship with the light. What does fellowship mean? communion, participation with, experiencing the light jointly with him. Neil was telling a story about walking through a cave. Neil has great stories of New Guinea. And he's talking about walking through a cave that goes all the way through the mountain. And they used to go in there to hunt bats. Big bats. They hunted bats because they were eating the bats. So I'll let him finish that story. He also said there are big picking spiders in there that can't see anything, so they have these big old long tentacles that they touch you with kind of to see what you are. So Neil will be conducting a hike shortly if you ever want to go with him. But he said after going all the way through that cave, when you came out the other side, you just didn't feel, see the light. You felt it. It was like, whoa, oh, I can feel the light. fellowship with the light is participation in the light and being overwhelmed and permeated by it Thompson goes on to say light and darkness are as incompatible in a Christian as they are in God to walk in the light means to shape one's whole being all one's actions decisions thoughts beliefs and emotions by the standard of the God who is the light How much do we let God's light permeate everything? Now, let me make this clear. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. Uh, John's going to make several statements in these verses about sin and how we handle sin. It doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore. In fact, he brings that out. What it does mean is that we live our lives guided by constant exposure to the light. We let it permeate even the shadows of our actions and our attitudes. We tend to hide places in our lives, don't we? We don't like exposure. And what John is saying is that if we have fellowship with the light, we let it permeate and expose every area. We let the light do its work. And we have fellowship not just with the light, but with each other. There's this joint participation with others who are also partakers and participants in the light. There are five if we say phrases. Some of them are negative, some are positive. It's statements that address issues that John's readers were facing, both from false teachers and in their own personal experience. There are certain things that don't mix and match. John tells his readers that there are certain things that don't fit with the light. If you're children of the light, there are certain things that don't go. In other words, your walk has to match your talk. And there is a checklist. Paul said, uh, test yourselves and see if you are of this household of faith, unless indeed you fail the test. And I think John here gives us a pretty good test. The first if is in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with the light and walk in the darkness, we lie. Now, the interesting thing is he's talking about walking. If we have fellowship, joint participation, if we are involved with this God who is light and his light indwells us and permeates our life and we continue to walk, And walk in Scripture is a metaphor for lifestyle. We remain there. If we walk in darkness, we lie. If we live a lifestyle of darkness, but say we walk in the light, we are not being honest. We're not sharing the life that is characterized by life. It can't be true. It can't be true that we are permeated by light. We are walking in light and at the same time walking in darkness. It's like trying to walk in two different directions at once. How can you do that? You can't. We cannot dwell, walk, stay in the realm of darkness and have fellowship with the one who is in the light. We, we in our culture, tend to um, segment our lives. Here's the religious part. Here's the part I believe. I believed in Jesus once. I prayed a prayer. I did this. But it doesn't really permeate or impact this part of my life. That's an impossibility. Even if there is a relationship, if somehow we submitted our heart to Christ, there's no fellowship. We cannot be fellowshipping with the light, face-to-face living interaction, and walking in darkness. Unfortunately, There are all of us at times have certain parts of our lives that are exposed to God and certain parts that we want to remain hidden. Verse 7 is the second if. The second statement is a very positive one. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We share the same light-giving life. There's this camaraderie or fellowship with those who are walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. A vertical fellowship results in a horizontal fellowship and not a gamesmanship kind of thing. Have you ever had a relationship or been in a relationship? And we all do this to some extent. There are times when we don't want to really be exposed for who we are and so there is this kind of phony dance we play. How are you? Fine. What's God doing in your life? Everything. Any struggles? Oh, no. Can I interview your children? Real fellowship, authentic fellowship, is when we are willing to be exposed and we understand your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. We revel in your grace, and your grace covers my sin. It's enough for me, and it's enough for we. And there is an honest fellowship that goes on because we know we are only in His grace. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I think what is being said here is that we deny our sin t- nature. Evidently, there were those who were saying that they were not sinners. The only way to say you're not a sinner, well, there are two ways. One. One. You think you never were. And there are those who deny that. I mean, there are those in our culture who say, I don't like the word sin. The, the other way that we cannot be sinners is that we reach the point where we don't have any sin. We have grown or matured to a place where we don't really sin. And there were teachers, evidently, in this first century who were saying that you reach a place of total sanctification. That term may be familiar with you with you because there are people who teach it even today. That we don't have sin. The problem is that if you're around someone like that very long, the truth comes out, doesn't it? Stomp on their toe and see how totally sanctified they are. One of the absolute truths in all our lives is that we still experience sin. While we are redeemed, we're still sinners. Even for those who theologically know the truth, I think this is a danger. We can easily slip into an attitude that I really don't sin that much. I'm not as bad as them, whoever they are, right? And we have these categories. We don't want them to live next to us or date our kids or whatever, you know. But as soon as we think we're not as bad as them, it means that we're pretty good. In other words, I'm not that sin, I'm not sinful, I just sort of sin. And what Paul is saying is listen, if you believe that, you're deceiving yourselves. Is it possible to deceive ourselves? If you're married, ask your spouse. One of the things every couple that comes in for for counseling, marriage counseling, one of them, generally the one with the beard, (laughs) thinks that their marriage is fine. We're fine. We're okay. We're doing pretty well. Until the light comes on. We don't like to be exposed. And I think we do that. We say, I'm not really, I don't, I don't really sin. I go to church. I, I don't really sin. I mean, I wouldn't call it sin. So we live kind of numb to our desperate daily need of God's light, which forces us to rely on His grace. Because ultimately, when we don't think we sin, we get to the place where we don't think we need His grace. All of you people do. Or all of those people do. But. Even as Paul said in Romans 6. The things that he wanted to do. He didn't. And the things he didn't want to do. He did. And the things he was supposed to do. He didn't want to do. We. Listen to this. We. We. Everyone in here. We all struggle with sin. Who said amen? Only one person. We. We. <laughs> We all struggle with sin. And to deny that, or to deny that what is in our lives is, that is contrary to God's character and His word is not sin, is self deception. Interestingly enough, the words here are, is, for sin is singular, it's the term that, it, it, that encompasses our sinfulness. The fact is, we're sinners. We may be saved by grace, but we're still sinners. If we say that we're not sinners, we deceive ourselves. And if we consistently deceive ourselves, then the truth is not in us. We deny the truth. God's light and truth in our life is a humbling and healthy reality, is it not? It's one of the reasons why we need each other. It's one of the things that authentic fellowship does. It continues to cause us to bathe in the light of truth and to continue to fellowship with each other. When a brother or sister says, really? Verse 9 is another if statement. Here's another of the great positives. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to continually and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice that this is a singular form of the word. This is admitting that what we do is wrong as it comes up. What does confess mean? Admit, agree with, right? To acquiesce to what the light is showing. We acknowledge the reality of the truth. And and we can, it says, Doug, that attitude stunk. Doug, what you said was hurtful. Doug. Well, they deserved it. That's not the point. (laughs) The point is, was it sin? I was having a conversation with somebody not long ago, and they said, and and, and they were telling me this what this really upset me. And somebody challenged her on it, and she came back and said, Man, that was so selfish. That was absolutely self centered. True or not true? True. And what happened as soon as she got there? It was over, it was gone. She confessed, and it was over when we do confess, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse or to purify. It's interesting that John does not say that he is God is gracious or loving. We tend to think God forgives because he's gracious or loving. He provided a way to forgive because he's gracious and loving, but he forgives because he's faithful and just. He will honor what Jesus has done on our behalf. He is faithful and he's just. The payment has been made so God will not and cannot hold it against us because he is faithful and just. We can count on his forgiveness because he said he would forgive based on what he did and he will. A very familiar passage in Romans chapter 3 says this, starting in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Raise your hand if you have sinned. Now remember what I just said he said if you don't. Now look at the person next to you. Is their hand still up? Look at how quickly they came back up. (laughs) He's faithful. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a payment, as a satisfaction by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our forgiveness is not based on our worthiness to be forgiven. It's based on his worthiness to have taken our punishment and God is faithful not only to forgive us our sins but to cleanse or purify from all unrighteousness this is an ongoing occurrence he continues to purify he continues to purify he continues to take it away philippians 1:6 paul says this and i'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ uh, I gave an illustration in the first service, and it was a bad illustration. It was a good illustration, but a wrong illustration because I spent time convincing a guy he should have a knee replacement this week, and then I talked about infection. How many of you have artificial addendums? Look at our peer group. This is happening more and more and more. In fact, <laughs> when I had to go to the pre-class, you know, before they put them in there, I, I, I'm looking around, and I start flashing pictures of all these old people. And I sent it to my son and said, this is my new peer group. And he said, yes, yes it is. I wrote him out of my will, which is no big deal. I was just gonna give him my knee anyhow. But one of the great fears, if you have an artificial anything, metal in your body is infection. If you get an infection, infection in your body tends to go to a place where it can hide. And it can hide where there is no blood flow to get to it, to get all your white blood cells there to kill it. And one of the places that it does is it will attach to anything metal in your body. And there's no blood flow behind it. And so it can stay there and keep living no matter what they throw at it. And so the process is this, if you get an infection, the first thing they do is pump you full of antibiotics, and not the kind you take in pills. They put you in the hospital, IV stuff, they're just pumping you full of antibiotics. And if that doesn't work, then they open it up, and they go in there, and they scrub. (laughs) This is why the guy got discouraged today, I don't know why, but... (laughs) they go in there and they scrub that baby all out with some kind of disinfectant stuff and you stay in the hospital and they keep pumping you full of antibiotics in your knee and in your bloodstream and they try and kill that stuff. Now they can't do that. They take this perfectly good knee joint, or whatever joint, out of your leg. They put a plastic or a wooden one in there. Keep pumping you full of antibiotics until it's all gone. And then they take that out and put another metal one in. Does that sound like fun? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the great fear. At one point, they thought my knee had gotten infected, and I just went panicked. The doctor said, hey, I can't see you in my office. I'm in surgery all day tomorrow. Go in and check in. They'll they'll come down and I'll examine your knee. And they did all these tests. And when I got there, they said, have you eaten anything in 12 hours? And I went, hey, time out. There is only one reason that you would ask me that stupid question. I said, I'm here to see the doctor. She said, you're on the surgery schedule. Linda came in after parking the car. She said, I went gray. I'm like... What you talking about, Willis? I know this story. <laughs> Why are they so serious about getting rid of the infection? It will, it will kill you. Do you remember Rock Stewart? When Rock was still on staff here, he had a shoulder replacement. And he got really sick. I mean, really sick. They thought he was going to die. They called the family in and everything. And they had done all of this stuff. And finally, they took his shoulder out, went through the whole process, and he lived. But they thought he was going to die because the infection was killing him. That's what the light of God does. It's why God is so serious about exposing our sin, because sin is fatal. It kills our life. It kills our fellowship. It kills our relationships. And God says, it is more than just, oh, I'll forgive, and, why, and, and it's okay. What God is saying is, I'll forgive, and I will continue to forgive, but I will purify you. Identifying and being honest that what the light reveals is part of the process of getting rid of the ongoing infection. We want to hide in it. Let me ask you, how many relationships get better when you're living in a facade? They don't. And what John is saying is, I want you to know ultimate fellowship with Jesus, with the Father, and with each other. And it is my light that allows that to happen because it will expose your attitudes, your actions, your fears, your control, whatever. And as God's Word brings that up, we want to go, Wow, well, it's really you know, it's, its not sin. And as soon as we do that, you know what happens? God says, yes, it is. Which leads us to verse 10, the last if. This is kind of a cumulative statement. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar because we deny that he's telling the truth. This is denying sinful actions, not a sinful nature. Lying to ourselves is one thing. Deceiving ourselves is one thing. And counselors struggle with this all the time. We want to hide what is crippling us. And until we face it, it won't get dealt with. And we can pretend our lives will go on and get better, but no, they won't. Lying to ourselves is one thing. Deceiving ourselves is one thing. But trying to make God out to be a liar is a completely different thing. In order to rationalize or justify our sin, inevitably we must say that God does not tell the truth, and that is the great lie of Satan from the garden, right? God's not telling you the truth. Has he said? Has he really said? It's not true anyhow. He just doesn't want you to be like him. And Paul says if we say that, then God's word isn't abiding with us. His logos, his living and abiding word, isn't us. As we read through this letter, we're going to begin to see the phrase, this is how you know, this is how you know, this is how you know. And this is how you know. This is one of those tests. I think John is describing a self-test process. Is the light of God's truth being light? in life inside of us. Is there an ever-increasing awareness of sin and an ever-increasing willingness to let God deal with us? I think sometimes as we mature, we think, I don't have to face my sin. I've got this covered. The reality is it will continue to grow and we'll become more and more and more aware. C.S. Lewis once called God the transcendental interferer. He interferes with our sin-cursed lives. Because he's light, he cannot do anything but that. He has a vested interest in us, and we have a vested interest in resisting his interference. And the role of the light is to continue to reveal the truth. No shadows, no hiding. We talked about the infection of an artificial joint. We just had our 10th grandchild. And you know what a Billy Rubin light is? I asked this question. There happened to be a nurse in the first service right up front, and now there's another one. I said, what the heck is bilirubin? Is he some guy from the Ozarks or something? <laughs> bilirubin is something that has to do with your liver or kidneys? Yeah. Liver, because it's not working right. It's not processing stuff, and you turn yellow. And so what do they do when a child has jaundice? They pull them under a bilirubin light. And they used to be archaic things. They were like heat lamps, you know, (laughs) like down there, whenever you're at an outdoor restaurant, like you go to Dick's, I think, oh, Billy Rubin light. They have those heat lamp things, you know. But when our kids were little, it was kind of archaic. Now our grandkids, we've watched the progressing and this is number 10. It's the only one that hasn't been jaundiced, but they now, you know, they'll put you in the hospital or They have this little belt, you wrap them around and it shines and that takes several days. But I got to tell you, when they get serious now, you take that little kid in the hospital, they're in this tube that is light all the way around, the little kid's naked, and, and, and there is light everywhere. They cover their eyes, there is light going into every pore of that little body and it takes 24 hours and it's over. It is the coolest thing. But you look at your grandkids and they're like, whoa, they're glowing in the dark. And why do they do that? As punishment? To make them, them, that's a great phrase. I'm sorry, I just walked out of the light, Giles. (laughs) Speaking of light, (laughs) to make them whole and healthy. That's what this idea of light does. It is, God exposes us to make us whole and healthy and free. To live in open fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and frankly, with each other. Like Adam and Eve, nothing to hide, naked and not ashamed. Our tendency is to duck, to cover, to hide, and to blame for our problems, right? The problem in our marriage is that spouse we married. problem with our happiness is our kids or our boss or the truth is that we duck and hover and cover and hide because it's the nature of mankind what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned they were aware of their nakedness and they did what they covered they hid and they blamed Adam who told you you were naked she did. It's this woman you gave me. Ultimately, God, it's your fault. You gave me a perfect woman. I'd be a perfect man. still. And what did you say? That snake. what really is true is that it has to be exposed. And as we walk in the light and enjoy intimate fellowship with the one who is the light, we also enjoy intimate fellowship with each other, which results in joy. That's what he talked about last week. So the question here that I think John leads us to, are we living in the joy of absolute fellowship with God and with each other? Ron talked about it today. Not every prayer time, but there are times when you're so flooded and overwhelmed with God's presence that you can't even speak. If we're not experiencing the joy of ongoing intimate fellowship with Jesus, who is the light, and by the way, with each other because he's the light in our lives, maybe it's time to spend some time under the spiritual Billy Rupert light to do what we did this morning God exposed my heart and one of the ways I would encourage you to do that is to bathe your heart and mind in 1 John I'm so encouraged by so many people saying I'm reading this book and the lights are going on it's a great statement Father I pray that we would understand there are a number of ifs we can lie to ourselves we can deceive ourselves we can try and lie about you Or we can let you do your thing and graciously expose us so that we might enjoy intimacy with you and each other. It's the only path to joy through exposure to intimacy. May we rejoice in it, face it, deal with it, that you may make us whole and healthy in Jesus' name. Amen.